one of the greatest joys thus far in my life, um, I'm going to be 42 this month, um, is the joy of being a dad. Um, it does indeed come with some times, for those of you who are parents, with some uh, pain and some discouragement. That happens too. But I know at least at this point, um, I have a 12-and-a-half-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 3.8-year-old, um, that the joys far outweigh any pain that comes, comes with them. Um, but in watching my kids grow, I can tell you that there's um, a stage that I don't like as much as other stages. I know my wife likes the infant stage when they can't talk back to you, when they smell good, you know. But to me, they're expressionless, smileless, and, and wordless. And, and I get excited when they start to see their dad and they're like, ah, oh, dad, I mean, that's cool. And that's the part that I start to love. And when I really start to enjoy watching my kids grow or, or you're able to make faces at them and they laugh at you or they start to form words and you see their, their little souls that God made, these little personalities start to unfold and they begin to communicate themselves. That's some of the best time for me. And uh, two or three days ago, my 3.8-year-old um, wanted to pray for dinner. Um, he's always the first one. I love it. My other kids don't always um, volunteer. It's like, hey, would someone like to pray and give thanks? And my, my youngest is always, I want to pray. We're always a little fearful as to what's going to come out of his mouth. And so uh, this particular time, two, three days ago, he started to pray. And his prayer almost always starts the same way, but it, but there are surprises along the way. So he starts to pray. And this is, I'm going to put it in Isaac language here. He prayed. He said, thank you this morning. Tank is thank. Thank you this morning. Thank you today. Thank you, I know say fat or shut up. And thank you, Ali a boy. Ali is my daughter. Thank you, Ali a boy. And by this time, the four of us around the table listening to him pray, like, want to laugh so loud. But we can't. By the time he says amen, though, it just uh, the table is full of laughter. Can't believe he just prayed. Thank you that he didn't say fat or shut up. Those are his dirty words. They're like the queen mothers in his vocabulary. And he didn't, he didn't, he was so thankful that he didn't say at the end of the day fat or shut up because you know those words will get you in trouble at a grocery store. <laughs> you just want to bottle that prayer up and I have no idea what the alley a boy thing I, maybe she, he wants her to be a boy because he wants another brother I don't know at any rate I just wanted to bottle that little prayer up so that sometime when I'm feeling down I could just unleash it and just listen to it again because this is this little tiny soul personality starting to express itself and to communicate itself and it's so refreshing to hear and get to know my son and see who he's becoming and to hear his, his heart, even though it's kind of strange sometimes. <laughs> you know, this, this thing we call communication is such an amazing gift, and it's such a part of the glory of what it means to be human. Now, we casually say that word, communicate, and we talk about Internet communication and web communication, email communication, and it's stripped of its personality and its glory. Any word that has the word commune in it is a pretty deep word. Communicate. You think about that. Communicate. How central it is to what we live for. It's the stuff that life is made of. Without commune, and commune is, is really to share and to meet with somebody for some benevolent purpose. That's commune together. Communicate. 
That without communication, there's no giving or receiving of love. That without communication, there is no giving or receiving of friendship or fellowship or relationship. It's, it's the medium of life. That without communication, there's no romance, no hope. There's no sharing of this thing we call, call life. Communication is life together. And without communication, all we're left with is kind of the, the tragic and haunting silence of being utterly alone. Which in my thinking is part of the essence of what hell will be. Is to be completely cut off from the loving communication of God and everyone else. To be in utter, complete isolation. The very beginning of the Bible, God said, it's not good that man shall be alone. And I think the eternal destiny of those who have not come to faith will be to be utterly and completely alone. But what a wonderful thing with that as a backdrop to the fact that God has given us this ability to communicate with each other. What's equally interesting about it is it can take so many different forms, not just verbal communication, but when someone, a friend gives you a hug, they communicate something to you. Uh, the uh, the, The smile of a father communicates a little heart drawn by clumsy hands of a 3.8-year-old and handed to his dad, it communicates. The simple look into your lover's eyes communicates something that words can't always express. That is, communication has almost an infinite number of faces by which we might know something about another person. Body language, the whole ball of wax. An amazing thing, this gift called communication And it's not just a gift, it's part of the glory of what it means to be human. And the reason it's part of the glory of what it means to be human is because the one who created us, created us in his image, and he is a communicator. The God of the scripture from beginning to end is a God who communicates. It's part of his nature. And if you think about it, that means that he is not impersonal, but he is personal. He is not self-concealing, but he is revealing. He's not guarded, he is giving. He's not withholding, he's overflowing. That's what communication is. It's a giving of yourself. From beginning to end of the Bible, God is of giving of himself, communicating himself. He speaks and worlds are born. He speaks and again, clay is fashioned into flesh. He speaks and the breath of life is given into us and we live. That God has spoken through the ages through the prophets. And when the time was right, God's communication took its most perfect form, and it wasn't in the form of nouns and verbs. It was in the form of flesh. God's communication became flesh and dwelt among us. God is a communicating God, and we reflect that. I know some think that God no longer communicates. That was something of the past. And I'd like to say that that's not true. The voice of God has always been around, continues to be around, and for those who have ears to hear it and eyes to see it, He is still speaking and He is still communicating. Psalm 19 tells us that night after night, day after day, creation speaks forth the voice of God. Revelation, or Romans 1 as well. That God is speaking. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. There was a hiss right there. I was thinking maybe I had some issues. <laughs> That God continues to speak through creation. You go outside and He's speaking. You can see Him speaking. That God continues to speak through this infallible Word, and He speaks through it 
personally and powerfully. I think some of us think that this is just a generic word meant for a generic group of people and it's not personally directed to you. But the Spirit of God, I believe, and I've experienced, takes this word and He brings it to you in a very personal and profound way where you know, God spoke to me today through this. He takes these little words and He brings them to life in your heart and you know it was His word to you. So He is still speaking through this living thing we call the Scripture. And what I'd like to say this morning is God continues to communicate Himself through the various gifts of the body, albeit not infallibly as we have here in the Scripture. God continues to communicate Himself in a diverse number of ways through the special gifts that He has given to each and every believer in the body. That's His way in this particular age of communicating Himself in ways that people need. So the spiritual gifts in one sense, and this is a variation on the theme of last week, is God's way of communicating to us in the here and now until we see Him someday face to face. He's communicating through the gifts. If they're in operation, if you're using them, and if you're seeing correctly, you're hearing God speak in verbal as well as nonverbal gifts. The question that arises if you believe that that's true, that God continues to communicate and He communicates through the gifts like teaching, preaching, and so forth, the question is how is it then you discern the voice of God? There are a lot of voices out there, as you know, that claim to speak for the Lord through history, outside the church, as well as inside the church. How do we know we're hearing God's voice in a gift and not a person's slanted and corrupted opinion? How do we discern the voice of God? A very important question. In fact, in many respects, our eternal life hangs on being able to discern what is the voice of God and what is not the voice of God. There are millions of people around the globe that believe that in the 6th century, a man by the name of Muhammad carried the voice of God. They believe they heard it, and they have submitted to that voice. Did God speak in the 6th century through this particular man? Or in the 19th century, man takes some spectacles, reads some golden tablets, translates, and gives a particular group of people a supposed word from God in the form of the Book of Mormon. Was that God's voice speaking? You see, being able to discern God's voice, not just outside the church, but even inside the church, is the teacher or preacher or the person with the gift of prophecy as we read in chapter 14 or the gift of wisdom or the gift of knowledge are they really speaking the voice of god how do i know it's him that's speaking important question and it's the very first question that paul addresses in these three chapters on the spiritual gifts just tells you how important it is is he equips god's people church at corinth and he equips us with a test by which we might discern whether God is speaking or not. 1 through 3 of chapter 12. This is what Paul writes. I'll, I'll read the three verses, then I'll come back and kind of break it apart. He says, now about spiritual gifts. That's his way of saying, now we're on to a new subject. He does it through the book. Now about this, now about that. Now he's saying, now about spiritual gifts. And it's not going to conclude until the end of chapter 14. But he starts out with this. Now about the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, I don't want you to lack understanding. Verse 2. You know, now here he's going to state something that they do know. 
they are not ignorant of, namely their past. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Gods who couldn't speak, couldn't communicate. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, Paul contrasts their past with their present. In verse 2, he draws attention to the fact that Originally, many of these Corinthians in their pagan days obviously listened to the wrong voices, couldn't discern the voice, and were led astray, perhaps by the the words of a pagan priest, words of pagan prophets, or demonic influences. But they were led astray by these false voices to worship, in the end, what is nothing but a pathetic excuse for a god. A god that Paul says here is mute, mute idols that cannot speak, If they cannot speak, they cannot hear. They cannot respond. Do you remember what that was like? You didn't discern the voices and you were led astray to worship in the end. It was a God who doesn't communicate. That is pathetic if you think about it, and it's sad. Um, To have a religion where people sacrifice and pray, worship, Someone who's not really there. Someone who doesn't care because they can't hear, can't speak. Someone who can't love, relate, respond. In essence, what Paul is saying, you remember back in the time when you were worshiping like a rock? You were praying to a tree? Things that couldn't do anything? Man, I'll tell you, it would be devastating to my soul if the God that we worshipped was a mute, non-communicative God. This is using a little bit of imagination. Get on the Internet, wired directly to God, and you send message after message after message after message after message. And never is there any response. Or to pick up the phone, wired directly to heaven, and you... You just listen to it ring and ring and ring and ring over and over again. Or in the middle of tremendous pain, son just killed by a drunk driver driving down Auburn Folsom Road. And you write a letter to the Lord, to God, and you say, I'm devastated. Why did this happen? I don't want to live any longer. Please help. And you put it in the envelope, and you put it in the post office box, and you send it, and it comes back saying, invalid address. It's pathetic. A God who doesn't hear and doesn't speak, doesn't respond, doesn't love, doesn't communicate. That's where they used to be. The Corinthians used to be worshipers and prayers and sacrificers to idols that were mute. Because he listened to the wrong voices and didn't have the discernment to know when God was really speaking. But that's not the case with the God of Scripture, which is one of his glories. Is that he is a communicative God. His voice is heard every day for those who have ears to hear it. But God's voice, according to what Paul says here, has a specific and particular ring to it that makes it distinct from all other voices of religions around the world. 
there is a distinctive ring, kind of like you know, when your dad calls and you're like, oh, I know that vocal quality, that's my dad. There is a particular ring to the voice of God, and Paul draws attention to it. This is the test in verse 3. And really, I'm just asking and answering one question this morning. How do you discern that it's really God speaking? And here is the test, verse 3. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, there is someone speaking by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit speaking through his people, speaking through the gifts, the uh, Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. It's the negative side. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So the test boils down to this, and it's one singular thing. Jesus. What does the voice say about Jesus? It's interesting how it all kind of boils back down to Jesus again. Jesus is the beginning of all things, and he's the purpose of all things, the standard of all things, and now he's the test of all things. It's what do you do with Jesus? On the negative side, no one who is speaking by the Spirit in any, by way of conviction, a declaration of conviction, can say, Jesus, be cursed. Which means any so-called prophet, teacher, guru, who in any way rejects or curses the name of Jesus and who he is, it's rendered false. It's not a valid voice of the Lord. God is not speaking through that person. And I think by extension you could go on and say that anybody who diminishes, distracts, or in any way compromises who Jesus really is in anything that they say, it's not the voice of God speaking. To the contrary, you'll know the true voice of God, Paul says, the voice of God's Spirit speaking, because it will say, Jesus is Lord. Now to be clear, he's not just talking about any vocal cords of any unbelieving person saying, well, Jesus is Lord. Was that God speaking through me? No, it's a declaration by way of conviction. God is speaking through me. And it's not simply the phrase, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord just happens to be the earliest recorded creed of the church. It was the one thing they held to is, Jesus is Lord. It bound together the entire church of the ancient world. Jesus is Lord. It is a massive declaration. That Jesus, He is not a Lord, He is Lord. Cross-reference that to Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In other words, the voice of God has a distinctive quality of centering, elevating, exalting Jesus, I think is the divine one. So where there is the ring of the exaltation of Jesus in the verbal spoken word, that is God speaking. That's the distinctive ring of the Father. The exalted, Christ-exalted content of the Word verifies this is God speaking. It's like constant motif in His, his voice. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You might ask yourself, or we might ask ourselves, so why is that the test? Why is Jesus the test? 
Let me just take a quick stab at this. In many respects, there are so many things that communicate who God is. As I've already mentioned, creation is one of them. That we can look at creation and we can come to know a sense of who God is. We can look at the expanse of the universe and, and all of the power and energy needed for it to exist and continue to uh, operate in proportion and distance. And you can, you can discern the power of God. By the way, I think that's the main purpose for how big the universe is. Not so that we can look out there and think, wow, is R2-D2 out there, E.T., but to communicate to us that he can hold that in the palm of his hand. That you can't help but look at the uh, intricacy of veins on a leaf or the complex harmony of the ecosystem and not see amazing wisdom, wisdom that we still have not fully discovered. I mean, the more we dig, the more mystery there is and, and the more amazing design there is little parenthesis here, my thinking, like evolution is intellectual insanity, given the fact that God's wisdom is communicated everywhere we look. So in one sense, creation does tell us about God. In another way, the Bible tells us about God in biblical history. You look back at, at God saving Noah and his, his three sons from the flood, and you see God's, God's grace. You see his call of Abraham, and you see his grace. You see his rescuing unrighteous Israel out of Egypt, and you see his mercy, and you see his power. So biblical history also attests to who God is. So creation, biblical history, it says this is who God is. But as suggested earlier, there is one place and one person and one time where God was going to say, this is the clearest, fullest, most perfect expression of who I am that makes everything else pale in comparison. And that is when God took on and printed Himself upon human flesh, lived our life, died our death, and then was exalted to the highest place in the universe. That Jesus then is the most perfect expression of the face of God we will ever have. It's as if God is said to and saying to us, listen, I want everybody to gather around. You know, creation, yeah, that reflects me, but it's just a dark preview of what's to come. And what I did with Noah and Moses and Abraham and so forth, those were good. Those were reflections of me, but, but they're still dark previews of what is to come. So I want everybody to gather around, four living, elder, four living creatures and the 24 elders and all the myriad of angels, and then add on to that, come, all you nations, tribes and tongues, I want you to see one thing. I want you to see my son. Because in him is reflected perfectly the radiance of who I am. In other words, God says in Jesus, this is who I am in its clearest form. This is my heart. So a denial of Jesus, who is the heart of God, who is the face of God, is a denial of God altogether. So to diminish or distract from Him goes opposite to the whole heart of God and His Spirit. They all flow to this one place. It's interesting in that Revelation 5, Jesus is the center of all those concentric circles. So when a, a voice, whether it be a spiritual gift does something to diminish or detract from the centrality, 
the supremacy and the divinity of Jesus as the face of God, that's not God speaking. Or let me use a really clumsy analogy, and I hope this doesn't come, come across corny. Late 70s, a movie came out, um, Steven Spielberg. You'll remember this, some of you will. Others will think, what in the world is he talking about? Remember Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Richard Dreyfuss? I loved the idea of space and aliens as a kid. Stupid, I know. But anyway, I, I wanted to see it. My dad took me to see um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. bit corny as I look back now. bit new agey. Yeah, I know. But there's something that happens in the movie that's very similar to what I'm talking about here. At the beginning of the movie, people start getting these images of what they would later find out is a mountain. Basically a peak with a flat top on it. And it becomes this obsession of those who receive this image in their mind. Remember at one point you have uh, Richard Dreyfuss. He's sitting in front of a plate of mashed potatoes. And he has this thing burned into his mind. And so his wife and kids are around. He starts shaping his mashed potatoes into this peak. His wife's like, what in the world are you doing? Well, there's this image that he has that he can't get out of his mind. And other people have received this image too. And so it becomes this driving obsession for them. And they want to find this one place that these images represent. And, by the, and the bulk of the movie, by the way, is the people being drawn to this place and pursuing this place, breaking through barriers and so forth. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, they have been drawn to this place, ironically called the Devil's Tower, where they have this close encounter with some kind of a celestial being. Or beings. Right? Corny, I know. But all of God's communication, everything the Spirit is doing through the gifts of the body, what the Scripture itself is trying to do, and what all creation in history is doing, is flowing in one direction. It's bringing us to one central place, and that's not Devil's Tower. It's bringing us to encounter the unsearchable riches of God in His Son, Jesus. So all the entire flow of God's communication goes in that direction and that direction only. So that we might be focused on Him, our affections might be stirred for Him, and we might become more surrendered and obedient to Him, and we might worship and sacrifice to Him. All God's communication flows in that direction, which is why that's the test. Basically, Jesus is Lord is a way of saying, Jesus is at the center of everything that God is doing and everything He's communicating. So He's the test. Jesus is the litmus test. Is He central? Is He exalted? Is He supreme? Is He divine? Church, that is the test of knowing whether God is speaking or not. Now let me apply that in two obvious ways, in a negative and a positive. In a negative way, what that does is it allows us to discern what is false. It allows us to say, that is not God speaking. And we have to be able to discern that. In a culture that says, you shouldn't make those statements. You shouldn't discern between what is and what is not the voice of God. In a culture that says, 
It's narrow-minded to say that God did not speak through Muhammad. It's narrow-minded to say that God did not speak through Joseph Smith. Because Christ is not exalted, supreme, and divine in any of those. That's notoriously unpopular. I'll tell you what, it was unpopular in Paul's day too. For the Caesar who thought he was God to hear from a Christian's lips, I'm sorry, (laughs) Jesus is Lord, Uh, cost most of them their lives. But they didn't cower from that truth. They held on to this confession. that The voice of God will exalt Jesus as Lord. So when we face the giants of our day, the giants of inclusivism that wants to believe that all the religions of the world are simply different parts of the same family hearing different various aspects of God's voice. No! The Scripture demands that there is a God and He has declared Himself to be one thing and not another thing. Eastern mysticism, which says that God is an impersonal force out there, is completely different from the God of the Bible who is personal, loving, comes to us, walks in our shoes. It's different. They're not the same voice. And when we have that, 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 that giant facing the church called respectability, well, if we're going to be respectable in our culture, we ought to downplay the name of Jesus. Wow, that's not the voice of God either. Jesus is Lord is the test, Paul says, or fear, just fear of being labeled a religious bigot. You know what? Let me just say this. I don't have the right to declare who God is. You don't have the right. The church does not have the right. But God has the right. The sovereign right to say, this is Jesus. This is who I am. Period. And you come to me on my terms. We're simply speaking what God has already declared about himself. That's true outside the church. That's true inside the church. Whether it's the voice of a teacher, a preacher, or someone with the so-called gift of prophecy rightly defined, or word of wisdom, or whatever the gift may be, we have to be asking the question, is this the voice of God speaking through that preacher right there? And what our ears ought to be attentive to is in some way, and there's a lot of diversity and uniqueness here, in some way is that preacher, teacher, or prophet exalting Jesus. Because if he's not, if he's just giving me the seven habits of a highly effective person, might be practical in wisdom, but it's not the voice of God speaking. And what you and I both need more than anything else is to know that God has spoken to us and that he is present with us in his word. So it's a test, on the one hand, of what's false, but it's also a test to know what is the voice of God. To know that when Christ in some way, in some dimension, some facet is being exalted, either by encouraging us to to run hard after Him, to be more surrendered, more consistent, not compromising, whatever the case may be, or bringing out the glories of His character, His faithfulness, and so forth, then you can know God is speaking here. That's the test. Jesus is being exalted. His Lordship is being honored. God's speaking here in this church. He's speaking from that pulpit. He's speaking on that radio show or that television show or in that conference. It's the voice of God speaking. And I know by personal experience, as well as the Scripture, you know, the one thing that changes and touches and transforms my life more than anything else is when I discern 
in some way, some piece of the greatness of Jesus. That sustains me in discouraging times. That's what people need. That's what the church needs, is to have the voice of God speak. That is the test. Knowing what is false, but also what is good. I just want to say, what an amazing thing that we have a God who communicates. You can hear Him. You take the cotton out of your ears, take the blindfold off your eyes. God is communicating. He is communicating in creation, in Scripture, ultimately in Jesus, but He's communicating through the gifts that He's given you. And not just the verbal ones either. The nonverbal ones. That God is communicating Himself to us personally. He's saying, I'm right here. Your failure to use your gift is a failure to communicate me to somebody else. Creation on a theme of last week, I know. And by the way, let me just throw this in. It's kind of a side application. If it's true that the centrality and supremacy of Jesus is the test of God's voice, then it seems to me that whenever we operate and use our gift, whatever it might be, that he ought to for sure be the center of it. In other words, when you hear that somebody needs groceries, lost their job, don't have money to groceries, buy groceries. Use your gift of generosity. Walk over to the door, knock on it, and say, you know what? There's a gift from the Lord. You want to show him Jesus' generosity. This is, this is from Jesus. Do this in his name. That way they see that it's Jesus' generosity. Again, not yours. He's communicating himself. Now, I'm not saying be cliche and say, in the name of Jesus, I do this every time. But in some way, shape, or form, we ought to give him credit for the gift we're doing so attention is drawn to the lordship of Jesus. Uh, If you're going to encourage somebody, you know, and you feel like they're down, come to them in the name of Jesus and say, you know what, I believe the Lord wants me to share this with you. He wants me to share this with you that he will never leave you or forsake you. And you've just encouraged them with a word from Christ himself. And he is then exalted as Lord. You know, that's what Peter did in Acts chapter 3. There's a crippled man, crippled from birth. And uh, he was screaming, you know, begging for food. And Peter comes up to me and says, you know, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I'll give you. And he reaches, well, he says, get up. And the man gets up and he's healed. It's interesting, in that chapter, Peter does not credit the Spirit with the work, although clearly in the context, it's the Spirit who does the supernatural work. He says, I want you to know that it's Jesus who did this. Jesus working through his spirit, through a gift. And then Peter gives ultimate exaltation to Jesus. That's Jesus alive in his body, communicating himself. Brothers and sisters, I really pray and hope that you see that your gift is a vehicle of God communicating himself. And that you will use it for the sake of his honor for the sake of His glory. But you will also have in your mind that the clear test of whether God is speaking or not is Jesus. Period. Lord, I I pray that for our church. I pray that those who have laxed or who have neglected what You have given them for the sake of the body and building them up by communicating through them, that You would... um, renew and quicken and that you would bring conviction and also stir within them the sense of joy of using that gift 
and receiving from the gifts of others the fact that Jesus is here in his spirit. God is present in these gifts, communicating himself. So, Lord, please do your work in this church as we seek to exercise our gifts. Help us to understand we don't have to be part of a structured ministry, part of High Life or Quest or Sunday School to even use these gifts. We can use it every day of every week just by simply picking up a phone call or buying some groceries or whatever God has gifted us to do. Lord, please just unleash this place to use their gifts for the sake of communicating the presence of Christ, the glory of Christ, mercy of Christ, faithfulness of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.